Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. And I'm Andy. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. Oh, other side of the screen. There we go. Mm, mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, because actually that is weird. Uh, yeah, so that's right. It goes off. Kind of virtual cheers, and we actually are getting our beers to, I guess, virtually <laughs> clink on the screen here. That was... That was good. I like that. <laughs> Only we both yeah. kind of go in the wrong direction. <laughs> it's always a first, you know, whenever you're trying something like this out. Well, first of all, I just want to welcome you back, Andy. And you do the Pardon My Fork podcast, and then you have mm -hmm. these small batch segments on there, too. So just talk about you and who you are. So uh, the listeners who didn't catch that last one can can hear. Yeah. So we have a food show called Pardon My Fork. But yes, we've been doing... Well, it was Moine Taste Mondays, but now we switched to Wednesdays. That is absolutely going gangbusters. We've been really, really happy with it. I'm very proud of it. And uh, of course, of course, it goes out on podcast format. I have a buddy that's a sommelier, and he works for a very prestigious winery here in Oregon. And he jumps on every week to, you know, give his thoughts, give his tasting notes. I have another friend that's very local to me who he's a chef in the industry. He previously was working at one of the highest rated restaurants in Oregon called recipe and then spent some time at recipe park. Do he comes on about once a month to speak about specific wine and food pairings. And, uh, we're, we're really just having a good time over here. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a listener, first time caller. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a listener. I catch those as well. And I, I enjoy, I've learned a lot, uh, listening to those. So, I would uh, definitely recommend uh, anybody come check out and listen in. It, it's something I've enjoyed personally. Well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. I, we're mutual listeners of each other's show. That's why we get along. <laughs> there you go, right? Well, it's all about the alcohol, right? And and the food. I mean, the, the part of my fork where you center in on the food. I mean, you, you can't do much worse than good food and good alcohol. Oh, man, this last episode, we did uh, wedding wines and just w wines in general for like big parties and stuff. That was a really fascinating conversation. We ended up having a couple of winemakers jump into the comments and give us their specific thoughts about food and wine pairings, what their wines are. As a matter of fact, one of the winemakers, I invited him on the show. I believe his episode is going to be August 5th. He's going to come on and talk about uh, he owns a or is part of a vineyard called Quaddy North in southern Oregon, but they're a very high end winery. So that's going to be a fun one to do and get his thoughts. And he's a barbecue guy, too. They smoke briskets any chance they get over at the winery. And, you know, I love meeting people like that because I, we've talked about this before, Mark. Food is a universal language. And yeah. that's what I love about it is I can talk food with just about anybody. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I'd agree with that. Again, just uh, when you get people of that level and caliber uh, who can teach you something, I think it's it's foolish not to listen. And it's also foolish not to listen to our podcasts, right? That's right. That is absolutely <laughs> right. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I'm sure you've got a slot as well. Yeah, every Thursday morning, uh, we release a uh, time for you to listen on Thursday and kind of hopefully give some input into your drink choice over the weekend. That's what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> awesome. So today what, uh, we're drinking some uh, barrel-aged beer uh, with the Dragon's Milk in particular is one we're, we're both able to get our hands on. Yeah, we were supposed to do the Dragon's Milk and then we were going to do a organ beer from Deschutes called The Abyss. 
And then I realized that I didn't have the abyss. <laughs> I thought I did, but I didn't. So we're sticking with the dragon's milk. But I have to admit, this is one of my favorite beers. Yeah. You know, when we decided to do, you know, the barrel aged beers, it was, uh, I thought, great and should have been fairly easy for us to both acquire some good quality barrel aged beers that we could virtually drink at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is, is they're very much more common in the winter. And I don't know if that's because that they have, you know, that's the time they sit in the barrel. Uh, and then that's, or maybe that's just, they are good drinking in a cold weather, I guess. Maybe that's part of it too. A good, cause it's a little bit, you know, hardier. Yeah. They're seasonal. seasonal I'm yeah. Weird people where like I drink stouts in the winter and porters in the summer. I prefer a dark beer. Oh, I, and I do too. I do too. So it was a little harder for us to uh, coordinate, but we did get this. Uh, so it's the dragon's milk and this is a bourbon barrel aged stout. So and I'll tell you, man, you can really smell the bourbon on the nose. Like you smell bourbon and alcohol. Oh yeah. I was surprised. I was shocked actually. Cause I had not partaken in many barrel aged beers confessed in the past. And if I have, I hadn't given it much thought. So I might have pre-tested a couple of these uh, prior to recording. And and I remember that first sip, you definitely, you can smell the bourbon, you can kind of taste the bourbon. The the barrel itself too just rounds out that flavor. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's delicious. Oh, 100%. I couldn't agree more. It's roasty, toasty, malty. It's sweet. It's heavy. It's bready. So you can't really think of this as something that you're going to drink and pair with you know, pasta or steak or something. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure I would do much of a food pairing with this. It really stands on its own. It has so much richness and complexity that if you were to pair it with something, it would have to be something relatively mild. Yeah. And I was just thinking about, I mean, the, the, again, it's got those good bourbon flavors, but the beer gives it, and again, it's, it is, it's deep, it's heavy, like you're saying, and it, mm-hmm. it really does stand on its own. It would either definitely have to be a, like a lighter flavor, uh, and and whatever you're eating is is more secondary, right? You just happen to also be eating this while drinking the beer, uh, because <laughs> I think it would just wash out the flavor of almost anything else you're eating. Yeah, uh, well, a beer that's so thick that it's almost chewy, it has that effect. You know, it's sort of like uh, if you pair the wrong wine with the wrong food. You know, if you're if you're trying to, I don't know, eat shrimp on a skewer and you've got a a huge Syrah big jammy bold Syrah it's just not gonna work it doesn't work that way you know and you encounter that with big beers like this this has been the strange juxtaposition for me has always been with a big beer like this when do you drink it and more often than not it's a standalone event here's what I realize nothing super heavy nothing super fatty to pair food wise right? Usually it's like cuts of prosciutto. Okay. And honestly, buttered sourdough. Okay. I can see either of those going very well with this. And and I agree because, you know, I'm, I'm a drink what you like kind of person. And if you want to pair, pair what you want with what you want, but, but you're right with some of these stronger, or I don't know if strong is right. Very flavorful. I mean, they, they're bold, right? I mean, this, this owns your palate. And so mm-hmm. it's hard to eat something else with that and enjoy both things at the same time, I think. So, but when I do it, it'll be a Saturday afternoon. I'm feeling like a beer. I'm not eating anything they said. And that's a great time to crack one of these open. 
And then I could also see in the winter, you know, it's a, a cold winter afternoon sitting at home. You can crack one of these open and again, just kind of enjoy it by itself. My wife has a monster garden going right now and we have carrots coming on. The carrot tops have a really specific flavor or in, in, in scent, but, but mostly scent. I'll, I'll get to the flavor part. To me, we had a rosé that had just a hint of carrot top in it. And I remember saying that to her. I was like, this tastes like your carrot top smell. She didn't get that at all. She was like, nope, you're way wrong. (laughs) But, you know, for me in that moment, it brought me right around to this massive garden. And I know that if I ever smell that in a wine again, I'm going to think about our massive garden 2020. And that's one thing we have talked about is how each person can approach a wine or a beer or whatever it may be and have a completely different experience. And that's going to be based upon your palate, your life, your everything. So it's funny that you would, you know, taste that and and she does not. Uh, But I think that reinforces the fact that, you know, if if we're drinking this dragon's milk and and I have one opinion and you have another, it doesn't mean I'm wrong. You know, you may be an expert and you may have barrel aged beers for your entire life and you're getting ready to retire at 120, right? (laughs) But that doesn't mean that I'm not tasting what I'm tasting in that. So that's why it's okay to taste or not taste something that, that somebody else is. Do you have any favorite, like trendy buzzwords, especially when it comes to wine to describe them? You know what? I do not. I actually, uh, to a large degree, I originally, I would avoid them and, and I avoided them. And before I started kind of my podcast and my learning journey, if you will, because I didn't know, and I didn't want to use a word that I had no idea what I was talking about, right? I'm going to throw it out there and be wrong. And I was afraid to be called out for that. (laughs) Then when I kind of learned them, then I was afraid of, of sounding pompous or I don't know, whatever, like I'm throwing out, you know, the, it has an aura of that, you know, whatever. And it just, (laughs) you know, and, and the taste of, and just using those super trendy words. And then it's like, they're either going to, think I'm faking it or they're going to think, you know, maybe I'm more than I am, or they're going to think, you know, I'm, I'm pompous, who knows, whatever. Right. So then I avoided them for that reason. Now I think I've finally come around to a point where I can and or will use a lot of the more common words. I don't know that I use any of them regularly and there's none that I'd particularly point to, but I'm not afraid to say, oh, it, it has a, you know, uh, like, like this, I, I, I'm definitely getting some of the barrel flavors that there's some mm-hmm. vanilla, not a lot, but a little nuttiness to it. Uh, definitely the bourbon flavors. And, and again, some of those are, are things, especially when you're talking about barrel age to say there's some vanilla, uh, you know, in there, you know, again, it, it's very common and, and not unusual. So I don't feel bad saying it anymore because I feel it's important to say that where it's coming from. Now it's coming from a point where I can say, hey, again, this is what I'm tasting. This is what I'm experiencing. If you want to call me wrong, you can, and I'm not going to take it personal. If you want to think I'm pompous, you can, and I'm not going to take it personal. So it's kind of been, I think that's been part of my journey. Sure, sure. I get caught in that quite often on my show because our in-house psalm, I'll say, ooh, this wine's a little sweet. And he'll be like, mm, it's actually dry as a bone. It's just the <laughs> flavonoids making you think that. And I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Those, those, those tricky flavonoids, though, they get you every time. Exactly. I do 
it, surely you have some favorites that you've heard over the years. One of my favorites right now is Fresh Cut Hay. Oh, Fresh Cut Hay, definitely. Really? Oh, um, one for uh, San Giovese is uh, Cat Pee. Uh, Cat Pee, yeah. Um, I mean, I there's some earthy. I mean, that's just yep. like, I mean, you know, kind of what is earthy, tobacco. And then there's some, I think the ones that really kind of get to me is, is the ones that make no sense at all. Uh, and yep. I'm trying to think of one where it's like, um, maybe not leather, because you can kind of leather, but, but there's somewhere you're just like, that's not a taste I want in a wine or I want to experience. And, and you're talking about it like it's it's a good thing. And Mark, uh, Mark wet yeah. horse blanket. Now, again, you tell me wet horse blanket. I'm staying away from that. <laughs> wine, beer, I don't care what it is. I'm avoiding it. Oh, man. You're talking about, uh, you're talking about scotches for me right now that chemically antiseptic. They actually use the term antiseptic flavor. And I'm just like, who, why, why would you drink this? And some people I know are just like, oh man, the peatier, the better, super peaty scotches. Mm, I'm there. It tastes like I'm chewing on a bandaid. I'm just like, what is happening right now in my mouth? And I just, they can tell me what I should be tasting and I'll just sit there with a grimace. <laughs> yeah. And again, antiseptic is not a flavor that would make me say, hey, I want to try this. Uh, but you know the flavor. Oh, I know the flavor. Yeah. And, and there was a wine actually. Now you mentioned that too. It was, it was, they said it was like, it tastes like cherry medicine or, or cherry, whatever, which reminded me as a kid, you know, the, the, that cherry medicine your parents would give you, which oh, as yeah. a kid, you're like, oh, it's sweet and stuff. And not to say I liked it, but it wasn't horrible, but that's not something I want to taste in a drink right now. So I totally get that. And, and, you know, and I, I'm with you on scotches, uh, you know. I like a little peat. I like a little smoke in there. That's what makes a scotch a scotch. But when they're too much, when it's all peat, all smoke, or all antiseptic, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm like, okay, I, I need mine on the milder side. And so that's why, you know, some of my favorites, they're milder, I think, scotches. And then some of the ones that maybe a purist might not even take super seriously. But to me, I'm like, no, it's got, it's that hint of smoky without overpowering. Exactly. Exactly. And I got to tell you, man, I mean, it's just cemented, especially over the years. I tried not to put myself in boxes, right? But I'm a bourbon guy, 100%. Like if you give me my option, uh, I take that back. I, a fine rum, I am all about, all about. I've gotten a little bit more picky with the lower end rums, but if it's something that's a little bit nicer, even a silver, but something that's a smaller batch made with a little bit more care, doesn't have caramel color in it, that sort of thing. You know, I dig it. I'm into it. You know, that clean, crisp flavor I'm, I can I can really appreciate. But uh, for me, if you're going to get me something just like for my birthday, you know what I mean? Yep. Just get me a mid shelf bourbon and I will be very happy. Get me a top top shelf bourbon and there might be some sexual favors involved. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, noted. <laughs> Listeners, if you if you're in need, in need you know you know what'll get you there. If you're in the um, area and in the market, ooh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, well, well, I was able to be out in Hawaii in Kona and uh, Kuleana Rum Works, and was able to kind of do an episode with them. Uh, and that is actually one of the more popular episodes I've done. And it is like you're saying, they don't add the caramel color. There's a lot of history to rum. There's a lot of 
specifics to that flavor. And, and I'm with you after experiencing that a lot of those low end ones where it's just a lot of sugar, a lot of coloring and, and things like that. It's like, well, no, that that's not what I want anymore. The biggest struggle, if, if you can call it that, if you will, of having, um, you know, been on the unsophisticated palate and having learned so much about so many different types of alcohol over the years mm-hmm. is that I've, it's hard to have a favorite, (laughs) you know, when you've had really good rum and really good scotch and really good gin. Um, and I've had, uh, I mean, just the, the really good wines, uh, some really good beers. And, and so it's, it's difficult to, uh, again, to kind of say, Oh, this is my favorite. And this is what I, I, this is the only thing I drink. And so my biggest problem, I think at the end of a lot of nights is looking at this big shelf of a lot of delicious alcohols and going, what do I want to make tonight? Or what do I want to drink? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your unsophisticated palate is turning into the forcedly sophisticated palate. <laughs> you know what? I, 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 I had no intent of becoming a snob at any point in time with this. And I got to admit, I may have a bit of snobbery in me. Just because, again, I th- but I think, again, that's part of the journey and part of the intent here is with a little bit of education and information, I found things that I didn't think I would like. Right. And it was like, it's not that I didn't like it. It was I didn't, I hadn't actually tried a good one. <laughs> and I would argue with you, I don't think you're getting snobby. I think you're just upping the sophistication. You're You're understanding better what you like and don't like. Oh, and that's it. Definitely. And if I didn't like something, I'm also realizing that it's probably because I had a really low grade version when I was a teenager or a young adult and said, well, that's bad. And then, and moved on. And matter of fact, I've got a lot of people I know and I love, and I've, I've really also, I enjoy a really good, uh, again, like we're saying bourbon, whiskey, scotch, uh, but they can't drink them because they associate that with, college right and in college it was it was i drank it i got drunk and you know whatever and it was like it wasn't a drink that they could just sip on and enjoy and every time they drink it now it brings back that memory of i got really drunk and i did all this and and they can't appreciate it the way it once was so i i'm kind of glad i think that i came into this into my journey a little late uh but i also i would encourage people to keep an open mind because whatever your past experience was, it probably wasn't, it either wasn't quality and you need to try something that is quality and get a little education around it. Or maybe it was quality and wherever you were in your life at that moment, it just wasn't hitting, right? It, you're too young or you were not familiar with that that palate or what it's supposed to taste like and, and able to appreciate that. So I, I've tried to be much more open-minded too. Mark, this was probably 12 years ago. I was at a race event. It was an all weekend thing. So we were camping, AKA drinking. (laughs) And, uh, my cousin, I was able to drink just anything back then. And my cousin had bought like a half a gallon Cuervo gold. And he did this, uh, really fun party trick where he'd be like shots, bro shots. Don't be a baby. Do a shot with me. And then he'd kind of lean his head over and go "Ah," right over the shoulder. Oh no. (laughs) And so I ended up, uh, blacking out. I came to about the time that I put a campfire out with my vomit and <laughs> oh, no. I was not able to do tequila for a long time. About mm, three years ago, I bought my wife a $140 bottle of tequila because she's a tequila fan. And she was like, "Hun, this is totally different. This is not anything like what you've ever experienced. You have to try some of this. 
So I tasted it and it was amazing. It tasted like caramel candy. It had so many good vanillins. It was an extra añejo. So it was barrel aged for five years or 10 years or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, it was a Malegro extra añejo and then reserve a, a special blah, blah, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, so that was my first kind of uh, like entry back into tequila was with a very high end good tequila. And I was like, oh, I can do this. And by the way, it doesn't make me sick. A couple months after that, uh, she went out and bought some middle shelf stuff. I forget what the brand is. It's in the square bottle. Uh, if you remember it, let me know. But I, she made some stuff, couldn't drink that. Instantly made me sick. And I was like, okay, well, apparently I can only do top shelf rum. Well, it seems like I'm now working backwards because I bought her some rum just a couple of weeks ago that was a $70 bottle. Tried some. Thought it was fantastic. I could drink it. No problem. I think that in some weird way, I'm working backwards. Like I started at the top and now I'm finally working my way back to the cheap stuff. Yeah. And I can see why you can or would do that. Right. Cause then you have a little bit more appreciation and tequila, mm-hmm. I think especially is one of those that very much falls victim to that. I believed for most of my life that I hated tequila why does anybody even drink that? Why is that even a beverage, right? Why is that an option? Right. And, you know, and then one day I was in a restaurant. We were, uh, it was the only seats were kind of at the bar. So we were up at the bar and we we're eating and people next to me had ordered this really nice tequila. And I think I made a comment or something about tequila. You know, they overheard and said, oh, no, 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 you've got to try this. And I'm like, mm. No, nah, you know, and they said, no, no, no. Try So they called the bartender over and they, you know, poured just a taste. And I took that one sip. And again, with just that one sip, and this was a, like you're saying, a good quality tequila. It blew my mind. And I'm just like, okay, I totally understand why people drink this now. This makes perfect sense. And tequila is delicious. And, and again, I think the problem is, is that we just, we get burned out on, on some of the other stuff, but I can totally see where working your way backwards would make sense because this is the best. And, you know, and you could of course then set the bar and I don't want anything less, or then you can start to appreciate some of the other things for, for what is in there. And it doesn't mean that the, the cheap tequila is bad. It just means that, you know, the the cheap tequila is still really bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I was trying to be friendly there or kind to it. But hey, but I we're, think we're tasting we we are tasting right now. We can't afford to be fair. Okay. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right. We can't afford to be biased. That's true. We we have to have an opinion. But I, I again, I think you can you can then taste what is good or some of the intent um, or the profile behind it. So then you can go like, okay, that's bad, um, but it's not like again. Well, maybe it is still horrible. I've had some really <laughs> bad stuff, I'll be honest. But again, you, you know what I'm saying? You can work your way down and find out, okay, here's here's where the line is, right? I, I don't want the $5 bottle, but maybe at the $30 bottle or the $50 bottle is, is where I can start to draw the line. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And actually, you know, it's funny with bourbon, I, I kind of drew that line at like uh, 30 bucks. Not always, not always. Mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm. some you know, old Forester, uh, 86 proof at 17, 18 bucks a bottle. That's not bad. It's not great, but it's not bad. But you know, if you had my, if I had my druthers with 
most bourbons, I think 30, 35 bucks, you're going to get just fine. You know, in that price range, you're talking about a bullet frontier 10 year. You're talking about a Cooper's craft five year. There's a bunch of others, you know, in that price range, you might even be able to say 25 because sometimes these, these whiskeys go on sale, but for a person who's not just looking to chug this thing and and get drunk, you're not drinking a half a bottle a night. I think that's perfectly reasonable. 30 bucks for a bottle that if you're only drinking a couple of nights a week and you're having a drink or two, that'll last you a month. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Yeah. I, I wholly heartedly agree. And I, I think I found kind of, again, some of my limits or dollar limits on, on certain items too. And where I make the exceptions, a trusted recommendation, you know, and or just a random experience. One of my, I can say favorite wines, a, a table wine, just kind of casual drinking. You can pick it up easily, seven, eight dollars a bottle. Two vines. Go ahead and give them a plug. It's it's good stuff. Uh, and uh, I it happened to have been in a restaurant. That was the only wine they had. It was like three or four dollars a glass i'm like okay this is not gonna be a good wine Um, but i wanted a glass of wine so i'm like okay i can suffer through that and i was surprised and again it's uh it's it's not gonna blow you away it's not gonna be like this is my favorite wine ever but for that price i would comp i'd make that comparable with the mini 20 to 30 dollar bottles um there's there's definitely exceptions but you know I'm not rolling the dice on all the, right. the lower price points to find the exceptions. I'm trusting somebody to guide me to those. Right. And it's so funny on Wednesday, we had the conversation about what wines you serve for the groups, you know, and we talked about that. Where does your price point land? Right. And there, there was just this whole host of wines where it's like, you can get a good quality wine. Not everyone's going to be good, but you can do pretty well in that 10 to $15 range. And it's so amazing to me, Italian imports right now, Mark, I'm, I am a staunch localist. I I mean that with the best intentions. Like I prefer to buy, if I was going to buy my druthers of wine, it would be within 20 miles of me. I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm huge, huge into supporting your local market, but some of these Italian imports, man, they're hard to beat. They're coming over here at $12, $15 a bottle, and they're fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I love local. I, I drink local to support my local community. Mm-hmm. And when I travel, I say, what's local? What do you have that's mm-hmm. local? And I've gotten some amazing variety of wines, beers, uh, spirits from local vendors. But that said, you actually, on one of your shows, uh, it was a few weeks ago, I think, it, or maybe even just a couple of weeks anyway, you were ta- you were drinking a Tempranillo. And, yeah, those Spanish Tempranillos, yeah. Yeah, and I love a good Spanish Tempranillo. I love some Italian wines. And you can get some of those imports very inexpensive. I mean, I'm shocked at what you pay for those. Yes, bro, those ones we were tasting on the show were $10 a piece. I did listen to your, your episodes as you were going through Sonoma. Were there any wines, now that it's just you and I talking? Uh-oh, <laughs> nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any standouts that you were like, I want to come back specifically for this wine or winery. Uh, you know what? I was very fortunate in that uh, two of, especially two of the wineries that I hit there were uh, honestly two of my favorites, which is why I reached out to them and they were both uh, responsive. So one of them was the thumbprint 
and I think their wines were very good, very surprisingly good, very well priced. But I also think that one was really just the the people, the attitude, the experience, just the overall. I don't know what it, je ne sais quoi. That, does that sound <laughs> <Yeah>. fancy there? <laughs> uh, there's just that something about them that 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 that's just special, you know, and unique. And and so they were making very good wines, but they were amazing people doing it. And it was an amazing experience. And then Soda Rock, which unfortunately did the tasting room burned in those fires uh, uh, last year, I think. Yeah, it was just this last year. Wow. Time is uh, time is very tweaked these days. Well, when <laughs> As, a disaster every month. I mean, it changes <laughs> perspective. Right. <laughs> But uh, but they fortunately their wines were stored elsewhere, and so they had they still have wines. They're still in business, so doing it. But Soda Walk had uh, some amazing, amazing, amazing wines. Oh, isn't it so nice when stuff like that works out? I was extremely fortunate when I was in England, popped up into Edinburgh in Scotland uh, to get Edinburgh gin, uh, and got a great. Yeah great conversation with the master uh, I, he doesn't like to be called a master distiller i consider him a master distiller <laughs> again that's a great episode if you want to listen in on on botanicals and you know because there's always that word botanicals and gin what are they how do they decide them what goes into that whole process that was a great experience hey i'm totally sidetracking you i apologize i want you to get back to your original topic here but when it comes to scotch like the longer it stays in a barrel, the better it tastes, like the the less of that peat and antiseptic you get. I think that if there was an Ardbeg, so they do 10 years. They're very strict at 10 years. If mm. there was a 20 or 25-year Ardbeg, it would not have as much of those really strong oceanfront peat, smoke, antiseptic, bactine flavors uh, and, and I know that because I've done like a flight of not Glenn Fittich, but um, uh, Glenn Morangi, we did a 12 year, 15, 20, 23, 25. This was a couple of years ago, but it was amazing to see the progression in flavors and how it changed in the barrel. It was just shocking. Is it not crazy? What a difference that, that, that time sitting in the barrel will make. I've been shocked. I mean, you know, we've got this barrel aged beer. You talk about barrel aged wine. Uh, and especially when you're talking bourbons and, and scotches and whiskeys, uh, and even tequilas, a lot of those um, rums. I mean, again, some of the best alcohols have had that time to just sit and not just sit, but sit in a barrel. And there's just, I don't know if there's something magical about the barrel or what, but it, it really mellows the, the flavor. It finds that balance. It, it really just kind of rounds it out very nicely. And you know, the weird thing about rum, man, there are so many different, I shouldn't say that there it's not like there's a ton of different ways of making rum, but like traditionally there were a few ways that they made rum that were very specific, like a Barbados style rum or traditional style rum, a Dominican style rum. It definitely marries art and science. You know, if you're going to do a very traditional style rum and do it right, like really put your heart and soul into it. There is nothing better because, again, it's that marriage of that art and science. And I'm sure that scotch is the same way. You know, there's so many different ways of making it. True. I, and part of what you're saying there is there's so much both art and science that goes into this that I'm really glad that you and I just get to sit here and talk about it and we don't actually have to do it <laughs> because 
I've thought about, you know, I'd love to start a distillery. I'd love to start a brewery. I'd love to start a winery. When you hear these stories and when you look at how much actually goes into making this happen, there's a whole nother appreciation for what's in your glass because it's not as simple as I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff in a, you know, in a, in a mash and then I'm going to distill it and then I'm going to throw it in a barrel and it's going to taste good. <laughs> Hold on, Mark. Are you saying you're not going to come over and help me brew a five gallon batch of beer? You know what? I would be very interested in doing that. It's, 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 we did a home brewing episode. I'm still wanting to home brew. Again, I think it's that, that fear to a degree of, of what it's going to take to make it happen. You know, can I make something that's going to be good knowing how difficult it is? And, and again, I think that's a blessing and a curse on the journey that I'm in that I've gotten to talk to so many experts and, and understand how much really goes into it and have that appreciation. It also gives me a little bit of, uh, fear for having to do it myself. I'm with you, but man, I still want to, I think, I think I'm going to do that this summer. It's a project that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. I really want to do brew my own beer. What I'm going to have to do though, cause we live in, in an old drafty house. We do have air conditioning in here. We've got heat pumps in every room, but it's not, it's not going to be able to even out the temperature in like our big walk-in pantry, you know? So I'm going to have to use a yeast that's happier with higher temperatures, probably going to be a Belgian. I'm going to have to probably not make it something super malty. Might even have to use wheat and I'm not a huge wheat beer fan, but I'm telling you, man, I want to do it. So, so bad. You don't even know because I just, I want to, I want to do it. I want to be part of the process. I want to feel it. I want to know what, it it's like, I mean, I've watched all of my friends do it. I've been there to help them, but I just, I, I haven't done it for myself from start to finish yet. And honestly, I want to. I'm right there with you. I mean, you mentioned the the giant garden you have and I've had gardens in the past. Unfortunately, I, I don't have one now, but there's nothing like going out in the garden. You know, you're growing it, you're tending it, then you're picking it, then you're cooking it and you're enjoying that meal. And there's so much beauty, I think, in doing that. And I want to do that too. I want to, I want to experience it that that too. So you know what? Maybe, maybe we'll make a pact here that that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna brew some beer. Pinky Let's, swear. Pinky okay. swear. There we go. Uh, make sure I'm yep. going the right yep. direction. You're on it. You're on it. Right, there you go. Uh boom, pinky boom, swear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We just virtually pinky swore. We need to at least start our brew by the end of August. You know what I will also accept is if you, Mark, find yourself a local moonshiner that actually makes a pretty good sugar wash and you get yourself one of those small half gallon barrels and you start aging some moonshine. I could be talked into that as well. And I believe there is a good one right around here. I'm I'm writing this down. Okay. I'm going to uh, brew some beer and uh, moonshine. I'm, I'm excited about it. Again, maybe this is the push that I needed because, again, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, and it's something that's very much interested me. I think, again, it's just taking that leap, and uh, and I thought by learning more, I would be more confident, and I think instead by learning more, it made me less confident. So, <laughs> uh, but sometimes you just got to jump. Uh, our batches have to at least be started by the end of August. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And listen, man. I already have, because we can here and stuff, so I have a five-gallon canning boiler and stuff like that. Entry level, very low investment, easy to turn out, and you can do a whole lot. 
once you start taking that seriously though <laughs> that investment starts kicking up and 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 it's and they start taking it very very seriously and again a kegerator and all the various things that you need to do to make some of that work and be able to have it at that level uh you got to be taking it super seriously which you know who knows maybe uh maybe after a couple of these home brews i i, I will uh, be making some investments myself there's a fella here in town uh, he owns uh, Three Sheets Brewing. Uh, that's how he started. Like, literally, he just, he was a home brewer, and it became a hobby for him. Matter of fact, it's kind of a funny story. It's not like this is some breaking news, but he's a cop, and uh, <laughs> he was a home brewer, and just really, really got into it, and eventually got himself, like, a 30-liter system because everybody wanted his beer, and he was literally just making it for family and friends, and it got to the point where he just said, well, if we're going to go any bigger on our equipment, we need to have a place to sell it because I, I can't afford to brew any larger batches if I'm just going to give it away for free. And they started Three Sheets Brewing. They're only open three days a week, and uh, they're just going gangbusters. That's one of those stories I love. I've got a friend of mine who did the same thing, was a home brewer. Mm-hmm. was doing some great stuff, got together with some friends, was doing some better stuff. They opened a, a small brew, I don't know, brewery. Yeah, it was a brewery. I know they they rented out basically a little, very small warehouse and mm-hmm. started brewing there a little bit bigger. Uh, and and then we're open a couple days a week. And then next thing you know, you know, they're, they're open all days and they're moving to a bigger facility. And I, I love those stories. And a lot of these, the craft breweries, a lot of the, uh, even the family-owned wineries and things like that, they have such cool origin stories of of where they came from and how they began. So uh, right now he's open three days a week. If it if his beer is as good as you say it is and if things are going as as well as they are, my guess is he's going to be making beer full-time pretty soon and, and retiring and doing that. And that, to me, is always – I mean, that's almost like living the dream there, right? Right? You right. get to take something you love and, and – well, they say do what you love, right? And And he's doing what he loves for a living. That's a fact. And it's funny you bring that up because I asked him, when are you going to go to this full time? And he's like, man, I'm just a couple of years away from pension. As soon as we hit that, like, you'll know, because I'll just put out a Facebook blast that says uh, three sheets is open seven days a week. (laughs) Oh, see, and that's perfect. When you can be in that situation where you and and, and here's here's the lesson for everybody out there. Right. You know, start now. Right. Like you and I, let's all start home brewing. Let's all kind of find something we can do. Let's age some moonshine. Let's let's do some things that direction and, and start experimenting and playing around now so that when we are, you know, at this point, he's just, he's got a finish line. He's got pension sitting right there. And then he's got his next step right there. And his next step is, uh, and not to say that, that being a cop wasn't his dream. I'm sure it probably was, but you know, now he's got his next dream lined up and waiting for him. And, and if, if you can do that, I mean, talk about a nice side hustle, Uh, There you go. Yeah, that's a fact. And you know what, man? I honestly, I encourage people to try some of this stuff out because, listen, at the end of the day, it's really not as expensive as it seems if you have a few of those things. You know, if you buy the big, um, the granite wear canner like we have, you can get those from Bymart for 30 bucks, you know, (laughs) Uh, Carboy buying off of Craigslist for $20, $30. The bottling, that's a little bit of an issue, but I, you know, I don't know. How how do you want to do it? It's all a process. You know, some of this stuff, some of this stuff is almost like, um, 
homesteader slash pioneering type of stuff because like hey that's how they used to do it you know it's it's not like we force carbonated before the 1940s you know everything went into a bottle with a little bit of pitching sugar and just just a dash of yeast just to carbonate it just to carbonate yeah. it, it that was the process before we were forced carbonating everything so it's not that hard to go back in in a lot of ways i feel like you get a lot of Mm, can I use the word satisfaction? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, again, that's that grow your own vegetables, cook your own meal, eat that meal satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Let's bring in these ingredients. Let's do this. And like you said, the, I think that that entry level barrier is very low. 100, 200 bucks, you can be brewing beer. And when you think about what you spend on beer and then how long that equipment is going to last you, and, and what you're going to be able to do, um, I think we did some doll, actually dollar and cent calculations when we did the home brewing episode, just out of curiosity. And I want to say they were, uh, you know, beers that you'd pay five, six plus bucks for, they were paying one, two bucks for. So, mm -hmm. you know, start that operation, brew what you like, and then you're going to be, if, if nothing else, you're, you're saving money. And like you said, you're doing that homesteading style and, and you're doing it classic. I mean, this is the way it was meant to do you didn't you didn't used to go to the grocery store and buy a beer right um if you wanted beer uh you know somebody made it and and yeah. i either made it in the home or somebody in town made it and you went and got it from them so let's let's get back to that and again then if you're doing a great job and people are liking it make some more and make some more and the next thing you know maybe you're maybe you got a full-time gig and there is a little bit of a i mean it's not like i'm growing the malt and barley for myself you know yeah. <laughs> so, that's not exactly, that's not 100% one-to-one homesteading. But, you know, at the same time, if you can go and buy some grain, you can do it. But, you know, it, if we're being honest, though, like you could make it, if you brew rice, that's that's what sake is. It's brewed rice. If you want to make mead, mead is actually the easiest way to go about it. And, uh, you know, if you can even just get fruit, I guess making wine is probably the most basic of this whole process is it not uh possibly i mean you mentioned mead uh we didn't had an episode on mead uh where it was it's honey water and yeast i mean it's hard to get more basic than that there is something to grow in the grapes but i think your point there was great i mean we don't have to be out there growing the grapes um collecting the honey you mm -hmm. know growing the malts and the hops and and everything else that's available out there i have a good friend who runs a winery and what he does is they acquire the grapes, right? So they're not growing their own grapes at any point in time. They don't have their own vineyard. And there's numerous wineries that are like that, that they, they're they're purchasing the grapes that they're fermenting the wine from. I, I think uh, you can't let that be a barrier to you if, if that's what it is. Right. Thing you want to cover? No, I like it, man. It's been a great conversation. It's always good talking to you, Mark. We have a great time talking. Um, I would just tell your listeners, you know, if they want just a little bit more of what's happening here, come and check out Pardon My Fork. Again, Facebook Lives, 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We have uh, someone, yay, we have a chef, we have people that jump on and uh, really do a deep dive into. The, the thing I like about you is, you know, you do such a good show where everything is clear and concise and it's all broken down. We just will take that to the next level. We, I've had some comments before where 
people don't listen to my show because they find it difficult to just catch up to where we are, right? You're that amazing stopgap where people who listen to you, they can get that base knowledge. And then if things start getting a little too heady over on our show, I feel like they can really, they can listen to you and catch up to what we're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, there's a great balance, I think, in there. And and I also like what you do on your show is you do similar. It, you know, you're not afraid to ask the questions and say, hey, wait, what about this? Or mm-hmm. correct me on that or whatever it may be. So I definitely think that there's a, a great balance in there. And so the pardon my fork, wherever they find their podcasts in general, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Also, Facebook.com slash pardon my fork. And, uh, yeah, any, any podcast platform, you know, you and I we're on this, uh, we're on the spectrum, right? I'm over here on the nerdy spectrum and that doesn't always work well for me. You always land right in the middle. And that's why I just, I appreciate you so much, man. Well, that's a huge compliment. And thank you very much because, uh, I consider myself on the nerdy end of the spectrum. And, uh, <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much. And again, I thoroughly enjoy yours. Uh, but for those who do want to know more about The Unsophisticated Palette, uh, you can check us out at theunsophisticatedpalette.com. Uh, for both of the Pardon My Fork and The Unsophisticated Palette, please go in, give us ratings, and more importantly, tell a friend. That's what keeps things going. That's what keeps us, uh, I'd say, on the air, but I guess technically we're not. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers, my friend. I actually have a good friend who runs a who runs a winery. I can say this. Runs a winery, uh, <laughs> runs a winery with the wascally wabbits. Um, <laughs>